and the mighty king Cetra the Imperishable commanded his scribes and lich priests to cause the great roster of his invincible army to be inscribed upon the walls of his tomb hall. Having a lich that only a long monotonous incantation can scratch. This is the Wargames Orchard. Welcome to the show, my name is GJ and I will be your host for today. Now I do not know when this episode will air in our grand scheme of things, but um, since the last time I recorded together with Nathan, this was the episode of uh, Sauron versus Nagash, we have decided to make some small changes to the way we do this podcast. Nathan simply does not have the time he wants to put into this podcast, as you have probably already heard. And I have some spare time now and again, so Nathan has given me full creative freedom to make my own episodes and record them. And I will then, in these solo episodes, just discuss my own hobby um, such as it may be, and I will skip out on news and we will save the news either for Nathan's solo episodes or for the ones that we do together. So for a hobby to start with, I have been working mostly on High Elves these past weeks. I am still involved in the Gathering of Mighty Painters. We have just entered the final month. This is another unit month, and I had pledged to do a unit of High Elf Archers, the old monopose ones. I still have 29 of those unpainted, uh, which I base coated, and I started working on them. I had planned to do them in batches, two batches of uh, 14 or 15, but uh, so far I've just been painting all of them at the same time. Just put down the groundwork, the white for the robes and the silver for the metal parts. And I'll see if I can keep this up with doing 29 plus a couple of command groups and a character that I had left over from last month. Um, last month was character month. I did um, one character for the that I pledged for the uh, for the gathering of mighty painters challenge. And then I did a couple of more that I wanted to do for the challenge or the competition, I should say, hosted on one of the Old Hammer Facebook pages, which was uh, where you had to pick a Gary Morley miniature. I got the high elf heroes that were, they didn't have names, but they then got names in the, what was it again, the Grudge of Drone campaign pack. Uh, those three metal-mounted heroes I painted, I did the mounted sorcerer that I had also pledged for Gathering of Mighty Painters, and two more sorcerers on foot, and then I also managed to do a couple of more characters. I painted the uh, Sword of Twilight uh, during our last recording with uh, Nathan together, and I also painted Prince Althran, the griffin rider from the 8th edition starter set, um, the Island of Blood, but he also had a version of him on foot, and the on foot miniature is the one that I painted up. Um, the one that I still have left to do is also a named character, uh, Salafin from the uh, Storm of Chaos campaign, 
And Salafin is a high elf hero with a sword and a shield, uh, just like Ultron on foot also has a sword and a shield. In between those two months, I wanted to do something different, so I quickly painted up some 6th edition era skinks, the ones with the blowpipes. And I have to say, I really enjoyed painting the 5th edition skinks with the, the bows, the monopose ones. I enjoyed them more than the 6th edition ones. Maybe it's just the sculpt that doesn't appeal to me. It's maybe it's the the way that they are casted. Um, they don't have too much detail. They don't have any any abs or anything. Uh, the loincloth is almost invisible. Um, it's all obscured by the model itself anyway because they are bent over. But the fifth edition skinks I felt were much more defined in what was what and and how to paint them. So yeah, I've been very productive on the hobby part, on the painting part. At least I think I've been productive. Uh, maybe not compared to you, but um, well, uh, I'm not going to compare myself to other people because if I do that, then I will always fall short anyway. I also got a game in last night, and this was a game of sixth edition that I played against uh, my buddy from here in my hometown, the one that I talked about earlier on the show. He's the one I introduced to Warhammer 6 edition. Uh, last time we played Chaos versus High Elves and he wanted to play Chaos again. So I gave him the exact same Chaos army consisting of a unit of Slanesh warriors, a Slanesh hero, a Slanesh sorcerer, an undivided general, a unit of centigors, and a chaos chariot of corn. Uh, oh, and a, a chaos giant. Um, well, it's actually an orphan goblin giant, but uh, we fielded him as a chaos giant. And I gave him a couple of options, and he said I would like to play against Tomb Kings. So I made a Tomb Kings army that basically just was to show off the different options you had with this army in 6th edition. It was not competitive in any way. I had uh, three Ushapti, I had three chariots, um, they were accompanied by a Tomb Prince in chariot. I had a Lich Priest that I put on a Casket of Souls, I had a unit of archers, I had an Icon Bearer with the Banner of the Hidden Dead, so that's the one that you can hide a unit in. The unit in the banner was a unit of six Skeleton Heavy Horsemen, and then I also had a Tomb Scorpion to top it all off. Uh, we had a lovely game, uh, we had some very nice moments, both of us were good on our respective left flanks. Uh, in my case that was the chariots, they wiped out the unit of Chaos Warriors that they were in front of. And then they overran into the general and it took a couple of turns, but finally the Chaos General managed to kill my Tomb Prince and then he failed his leadership test for the curse and got blown up by the curse, so both generals killed each other. Um, which was rather karmic, I think. Uh, the Ushapti in the center fared very well against the giant. I had not expected that. Usually my Ushapti don't do anything, but it might just be because I use them wrong. I just charge them into units, uh, either on their own or together with something, and then they just lose combat results and crumble. Um, but against the giant, they fared very well. And that's because the giant... Uh, he can only, well, with with his attacks against large creatures, he can only pick out one creature at a time. And then he will sort of kill that creature, unless you're lucky, and I was lucky once. 
but the wounds are not transferred onto the rest of the unit. At least that's not the way that I read it. I might be wrong, and if I'm wrong, please correct me on that. And on my right flank, uh, the unit of Centigors and the Chariot, they, mostly the Centigors, they killed the uh, Skeleton Archers over a couple of turns. I summoned the horsemen behind the archers, tried to get a spell on them to make them charge, but the spell failed, it was dispelled. I rolled very low with my with my Lich Priest this game. And then next turn those horses got charged by the chariot, they were wiped out, and then the chariot and the centigors together, they moved on to the Casket of Souls. In the meantime, my scorpion had risen up out of the ground, but it decided um, in the middle of a marsh, which was very difficult terrain, would be a nice place to show up. So it took me two turns to get out of that marsh. And then a the the general, the, the one that was closest to the scorpion, he had died already, so I could not move in that way. I, I had to move him towards all the way across the field towards my right flank. And then the uh, Lich Priest died, and the only thing that took wounds was the Tomb Scorpion. First he took one, then he took three, and then he was just uh, gone. He crumbled from the magic dissipating. In the end, we had a tally with victory points, and this was the closest match I can remember ever fighting. Uh, we had only three victory points difference. I had 13.45 and my mate had 13.42. So this was uh, obviously a draw. We had a lovely game. And this also um, has, well, I was going to say rekindle, but that's not the case. It, it has um, made me think a little bit about Tomb King's magic. Uh, I had planned to do this episode before. But now, today, I have some hours off, so I thought, well, um, since I played this 6th edition game yesterday, I'll just talk to you a little bit about Tomb Kings Magic. Uh, Tomb Kings are one of my all-time favorite factions, and I think no single magic phase has changed more over the years than the Tomb Kings Magic phase. Uh, it seems that GW just has a, a little bit of a problem thinking, figuring out the way they want this to go, the way they want this to work. So let me take you to what I consider the beginnings of the Tomb Kings, which is the 4th edition Undead book. I know the Undead were, were around earlier, but um, I have virtually no experience with 1st, 2nd or 3rd edition, so I don't feel qualified to talk about those, which is why I want to start this, this episode off in the 4th edition Undead Boo. Tomb Kings were then not a separate faction, they were part of the Undead, which later split into the Vampire Counts and the Tomb Kings, and as such the Tomb Kings used Necromantic Magic. Necromantic magic has all those uh, classic spells like Drain Life, Gaze of Nagash, some summoning spells, Raise the Dead, Summon Skeletons, it has the Curse of Years, it has Van Hel's Dance Macabre, uh, Wind of Death, the Magical Vortex that um, can, can do some damage on the, on the board. All those spells that later 
were incorporated mostly in the Vampire Counts army book, the Tomb Kings had access to, or what the general undead had access to. Necromantic magic allowed you to recast the same spell. And the Tomb Kings, later they got their own magic castles, the Lich Priests. Liches in general disappeared from Warhammer, uh, but they were still around in 4th edition. And a Lich is basically an undead wizard, which is what the Lich Priests became. Although in the Tomb Kings army, the Lich Priests, they were more of a religious cult. And in the Undead Book, the regular Liches were more like individual wizards, like necromancers that dabbled with the dark arts. And where necromancers are still alive, Liches are dead, but that doesn't stop them from casting spells. You will find the Undead Magic for the 4th um, edition in the Undead Army Book and also in the Arcane Magic Supplement. Later, in 5th edition, you, uh, the, the Undead Magic stayed sort of the same, except that it got an extra rule, which was that you were allowed to choose your own spells. You did not have to select them randomly anymore. In 5th edition, uh, the Undead Book from Fort was still usable, and some of the campaigns that we've looked at uses this 5th edition Undead Book. A fourth edition undead book, even though the campaigns are set in fifth edition. But then in fifth edition, you also got the vampire counts. And we will not look into vampire counts magic. Like I said, most of the necromantic spells they ported over to the vampire counts, and then the tomb kings they did not get an official army book, although they did get a white dwarf army list. It was in White Dwarf 227. Nigel Stillman designed this list. And this list appears after the Tomb Kings and the, or the, the Vampire Counts have split up from the Undead. Um, Nigel Stillman writes in his introduction to this list, The Undead of the Warhammer world can be considered as two discrete types. Firstly, the dark Gothic Undead characterized by the Vampire Counts of Sylvania. And secondly, the undead of the desert Southlands, ruled over by ancient mummified tomb kings. We thought it would be fun to create an army representing the skeleton horse of the Cambrian undead. Well, I completely agree, it's very fun to have a list like that. And it is this list that first introduces us to the Lich Priests. The Lich Priests are the magic casters of this army and lich priests it doesn't really say in the army list itself but in the fifth edition battle magic book it tells you that necromantic magic is used by undead so lich priests would use undead and uh, this is um this is also what this list hints at although it doesn't say it outright because you can still recast your spells and the, this recasting, just like necromancers and vampires can, uh, just like necromantic magic users can, this recasting it works on the same way, except that now you have four levels of Lich Priest. You have a Lich High Priest, which we would consider to be the level four wizard. 
a Master Lich Priest level 3, a Champion level 2, and a regular Lich Priest. And it says here, it goes here on a little bit about how those recasting, um, how that works. You have to roll a die, and the High Priest casts automatically. And the Master Lich Priest needs a 2 plus, the level 2 needs a 3 plus, and the level 1 needs a 4 plus to see if he can cast his spell another time. Lich Priests used the lore of necromancy until White Dwarf 238, that is. Because in White Dwarf 238, Nigel Stillman and Rick Priestley banded together and they gave Lich Priests their own kind of magic. And this is very different from what the regular magic was, because now Lich Priests did not cast spells, they used scrolls. Lich Priests had to buy scrolls in advance. The scrolls did not count to the, uh, towards the, the magic item limit. You can have any number of scrolls that you, that you want, as long as you pay the points for them. Each scroll can be used only once. And you can use only one scroll per Lich Priest per phase. And the only example to, uh, exception to that is the Scroll of Righteous Smithing. What are the scrolls we are talking about? The, scroll, the first scroll is Mankari's Scroll of Urgency. This is a 15 points magic item. You can use it on any Tomb King's unit on the battlefield. And the unit moves double its normal distance in the movement phase. And you can use only one scroll per unit per turn. So you cannot use this to move your skeleton chariots up the board in turn one, but you can use it to um, make your unit move double its normal movement rate, effectively allowing it to march. This is not an extra movement, so you can't move and then charge. This is just uh, double your movement instead of just your regular movement. The next one is Horeca's Scroll of Righteous Smithing. It costs you 25 points. It also can target any Tomb King's unit on the battlefield. And this unit may either shoot an extra round or fight an extra round in the shooting phase or the close combat phase, respectively. And each unit can only be affected by one of these scrolls per turn. The third of the four scrolls that you can buy is Jedris Summonation of the Vengeful Dead. The Summonation of the Vengeful Dead is uh, what you might expect. It is a summoning scroll. It costs you 20 points. And this one is activated at the start of your turn. A unit can regain D6 Warriors, uh, Archers or Tomb Guard. You can regain one chariot on a roll of three to six, or you can regain a d6 minus one cavalry. If you, in this way, uh, create a unit of five or more models, you can either add them to an existing unit, or you can even form a new unit within 12 inch of the caster. Then you have the Scroll of Mighty Incantations, Nefaris Scroll of Mighty Incantations. This is a 25 point scroll and this scroll allows you to cast a spell. There are three spells that you can choose from. Each of them has a power value of two. So it needs two power cards to cast them. And these spells can then be dispelled as normal. The first spell is Tomb Dust. And it has a range of 18 inches and it causes D6 strength 4 hits with no armor saves allowed. 
and if the unit or the, the character targeted survives it, it suffers minus d6 to its move. The second one is Quaking Horror. It has a range of 24 inch and the unit has to take an immediate fear test at a minus one leadership penalty. If the test is failed, the unit flees and it will have leadership minus one for the rest of the battle. Minus one leadership for the rest of the battle. Um, can be situational, but it, it can work out in your favor. The final one is the Serpent of Death. It has a range of 24 inches, it requires line of sight, and it does 2d6 strength 4 hits with no armor save allowed. These three spells are, well, they are pretty decent in and of themselves, but you have to spend a scroll on them, uh, which you have to buy in advance, and then you also have to cast the spell by putting down enough power and hope it isn't dispelled and boosting it and then uh, it might just be a little bit too difficult to get this Tomb King's magic to work and I think from this point on this is the main crutch of the Tomb King army they don't really they are very reliant on magic but they don't really have the magic superiority that this army should, should need to succeed to be a top tier army. This idea of the scrolls is uh, very nice. I, I like it. Uh, it is my first encounter with Tomb Kings, I believe. It was either Dark Omen with the undead that um, kindled my love for Tomb Kings, or it was on a... Uh, local gaming store event where I saw someone playing a Tomb King army with the Ravening Hordes rules. This, this was the 5th edition undead models. You had those lovely skeleton chariots made all of, out of bone. Um, you had the, the mummies walking around. And this was the 5th edition, uh, yeah, 5th edition models with the 6th edition rules. Um, they they intrigued me at a, at that very time, and then they had also these scrolls in sixth edition, at least in the Ravening Hordes era. And I I can see why they dropped it later, but I kind of also wish that they kept it. In Ravening Hordes, you have two levels of Lich Priest left. You have a Lich High Priest, which counts as a level four wizard, and you have a regular Lich Priest which counts as a level two. The scrolls that you have are limited to three, but these scrolls cannot be dispelled. It doesn't save for the other ones um, because, well, there's no need to, they, they are not in the magic phase. In sixth edition, uh, it has to be specifically noted. These are not bound items, uh, but well, they cannot be dispelled. You, they, they just go off. You can have uh, no longer an unlimited number of scrolls, but you can have only 10 scrolls, but they still do not count towards the item allowance. The only way for Lich Priest or Lich High Priest to cast magic is with the magic item, the Book of Mighty Incantations. And even if you use it to cast magic, you cannot miscast. If you roll a double one, you just failed the spell or you failed to cast the spell. 
The three scrolls left over are the first three I just mentioned. You have the scroll of urgency, the scroll of righteous smiting, and the summonation of the vengeful dead. The names that these, the names of, I think these are the either the gods or the lich priests that, that made these scrolls, they are changed a little bit. You had Mankare in 5th edition, and you have now Mankara in Ravening Hordes. You had uh, Jurdri in 5th edition, and you have Jurdra in Ravening Hordes. I don't know if these changes are on purpose, or if that is just because these names are so difficult to write and pronounce um, that GW just thought, well, this is just about what they sound, let's go with this. This scroll of urgency now costs you 10 points, that was um, 15 points in the 5th edition, and it uh, allows a unit to move double distance in the movement phase. It specifically says that it may not charge, which is logical because if you charge you already move double your distance, and you can still have only one scroll per unit per turn. You have Horika's Scroll of Righteous Smithing. This costs 20. The cost is uh, has gone down a little bit. It was 25 in 5th edition. And this scroll allows the unit to get either one extra shooting attack or one extra hand-to-hand -hand attack, again, in the relevant phase. Um, in the, the wording is a little bit different. In 5th edition, it was that you fight an extra round or you shoot an extra round, now it's just uh, the number of shots and the number of hits are increased by one. And this effect only works once per unit per turn. And I specifically note here that it says effect because there's also a magic item, the Tomb King's crown that allows you to do the same thing. So you cannot have the crown and the, um, uh, the scroll work on the same unit. And then you have the incantation of summoning, or the scroll of summoning, I should say. This one has gone up from 20 to 30 points, and at the start of turn, uh, you can boost uh, the unit of skeletons, cavalry, tomb guard, or chariots, and they gain d6 times 10 points worth of models. This is also a little bit different. This is no longer a fixed number of models. This is a points value that you get, and if you do not roll high enough, then you won't get, for example, a chariot. A chariot costs 50 points, so you need to get a 5 or a 6 to do that, and any excess points are lost. The only way for Tomb Kings, for Lich Priests, to cast spells is with the Book of Mighty Incantations. It is a 25-point magic item, and it allows you to use Death Magic. Now, I assume that this is a unique item, that you cannot put this item on multiple priests, uh, just the way it was with regular items back in the day. Uh, I don't think Ravening Horse mentioned that you can have this item on multiple priests. Um, it would be nice if you could, but assuming you can't, it is a... A item that is, um, it, it gives you some magic, but you need a little bit more to have real magic superiority. Let's say you have a Lich Priest and a Lich High Priest, and you put this item on the High Priest, then you have four spells from the Lore of Death, and you can cast each of those spells only once, 
and well then then that's it you have only one caster and these spells can still be dispelled as normal and lore of death it is well i don't really know how it performs i did not really play with the rulebook laws the, the eight laws of magic that you got in the rulebook i did not play empire or high elves or lizardmen at the time and, and though i do play them now i haven't used most of these yet lore of death it has some nice spells you've got your uh, d6 strength for magic missile you've got um a unit that is engaged in combat that can make extra attacks uh, even though they die a single model loses one wound, no armor saves allowed, and the wizard gains one wound, soul steel, wind of death, another magic missile, a drain life, and you can use, uh, although this, this is even on each unit within range, it takes d6 strength 3 hits, range 12 inches, no armor saves, which does not affect undead or chaos demons. And the last one is Doom and Darkness. The target suffers minus 3 penalty to leadership tests. That's a nice one if you can get it off on the 12 plus. And um, if you, you must pass leadership test at the start of the following turn, otherwise it remains affected. And this also does not affect undead or chaos demons. Floor of Death, um, it's got some nice spells, but not really the the real showstoppers that you would expect from, uh, well, no showstopper, but say Vampire Counts, where you have still the um, the Dance Macabre, you have still uh, the, the summoning spells, or you have scrolls for that now, but these are, I think, a little less effective than what was in the, what was going to be in the Vampire Counts book. Although in Ravening Hordes, vampires did not have their own lore yet, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, no, let's see, I do not remember correctly. There is some necromantic magic. They can select spells from the lore of fire or the lore of death. Vampires and necromancers can. And uh, the necromancer can always choose from either the Van Hell's Dance Macabre or the Invocation of Nehek. So uh, you get those spells extra. Um, still a little bit more tuned to the lore. Yeah, like I said, Tomb King's magic, it's, it's nice that it's there, but it should have been a little bit more powerful. Now my own introduction with Tomb Kings as an army came in 6th edition. And in 6th edition, Tomb King's magic changes again. The scrolls are dropped, you don't have any scrolls anymore. But you do now have incantations. And these incantations, uh, there are only four of them. And not only Tomb Kings cast these, but also, uh, not only the Lich Priest, I should say, cast these, but also Tomb Kings and Tomb Princes can have them. There are four incantations, and most of these we have already seen and we, we already know them. There is Secubi's Incantation of Vengeance, a magic missile with a range of 18 inch that causes d6 strength 4 hits. You've got Horeca's Incantation of Righteous Smiting. This is the one that allows your units to shoot an extra round in this magic phase, or um, it can fight an extra round in the magic phase. The, the models only get one attack each and you don't get impact hits, but you do get charge bonuses if the unit charged. 
Then you have Jadra's incantation of summoning. You can use this to get one of your own undead units within 12 inches. The unit regains d3 wounds, unless you are skeleton warriors, then you can regain uh, d6, uh, 2d6, and you can choose the highest. And Doom Guards regain just a single d6 models instead of d3. And this specifically states that you cannot have more wounds or models than you started with. So this is what distinguishes Doom King summoning from Vampire Count summoning. Vampire Counts can create new armies, can boost a unit of 20 zombies up to 40. But Tomb Kings, if you start out with 20 skeletons, you can never have more than 20 skeletons in that unit. And there's a whole section about the order in which the units are raised. First the champion, then the other command models, and then you rank and file until the front rank reaches at least 4 models. And then you can add additional ranks or you can add them to the front and expand the frontage um, and characters and units are separately so if you have a character with one wound and if you have cast this incantation on the unit then the character will not regain any wounds and if you do it on a character then the unit won't regain any wounds the last of the incantations is the incantation of urgency this can be cast also within 12 inches, uh, same as Righteous Smiting and the Incantation of Summoning. And the unit can um, move, make a normal move, and it can charge an enemy. And this all happens in the magic phase. Now, Lich Priests, yeah, yeah, they know all of these spells, and they can cast one spell per magic phase. And uh, Lich High Priests know all of these spells, and they can cast two of them. Tomb Kings and Tomb Princes, they only know the Incantation of Righteous Smiting and the Incantation of Urgency, which they can cast on a unit within 6 inches or on their own unit respectively. Now, Tomb King's Magic in 6th edition, it did not use Power Dice the way that, a, that an army normally does. All Tomb King spells are automatically cast, they are all treated as bound spells, and these bound spells are at a power level of d6 for a tomb king or a tomb prince or 2d6 for a lich priest or a lich high priest the power level is then determined and then you your opponent can dispel them as normal and uh, they just have to roll equal to or higher what you rolled on your one or two d6 for the spells tomb kings also have a hierarchy a very distinct order of magic First, you start with all bound items that are not used by characters. So, for example, if you have a magic banner that's on a unit of uh, regular skeletons, then you have to use that one first. Then you go to the Icon Bearer, which is the Tomb King's Battle Standard Bearer, and he can use his bound items. Then you do all your Tomb Princes, they can do their bound items and my will be done, which is the rule that allows them to cast one of these two spells. Then the fourth one is the same for the Tomb Kings. And then you get the Hieratic Hierarchy, which means that your Lich Priest and your Lich High Priest, they all have to be assigned a, a role, a tier in this hierarchy with the Lich Priests as the lowest and the High Priests as the highest. You work them out from low to high, so you do um, first your Lich Priests, and, and you always do them in the same order, and then you do your High Priests, and you always do them in the same order. 
And then finally, when you are done with all these characters, you still have the Casket of Souls if you got it. Now, the Casket of Souls is worth mentioning because it also affects magic. If you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, that is the, I think, uh, very clearly what the Casket of Souls is based on, both by its rules and its aesthetics. And Casket of Souls is a bound item. It unleashes the light of death. And that is a spell that each unit that sees it have to roll 2d6, you add 2 and you deduct the leadership, and the difference is the number of wounds. Most people I encounter are very scared of this casket, even though when you calculate the odds, it's not that scary. The power level to cast it is 2d6, so... Um, if you're like me in my game from last night, you keep rolling force. This is easy to dispel. And even if you don't dispel it, the average on 2d6 is 7. And so the if you add 2 to that, you get 9. The average leadership of a human or a regular human is 7. So on average, a, a unit of Empire Spearmen or handgunners would take only 2 casualties. If you have armies like uh, Chaos or High Elves or Dwarves, where everything has a little bit of a higher leadership, then the number of wounds is a bit less on average. And if you have stuff like uh, goblins or skaven, then the number of wounds will be a little bit higher on average. It is a nice spell if it goes off. I hardly ever manage to get it off, but well, if you, if you can manage to pull it off, it can be quite devastating if you roll high enough. Uh, but that's a lot of ifs for a 165-point rare choice. Fortunately, the Casket of Souls also gives you some other rules. One of them is Spirit Souls. You have, uh, if you remember Raider of the Lost Ark, um, when the Ark of the Covenant is opened, you see all those uh, ghosts whooshing about, and this also is the case with the Casket of Souls. And these ghosts, um, Steven Spielberg didn't Quite mention it in his movie, but these ghosts give you minus one on your casting rolls if you are an enemy wizard. This is uh, a nice little buff and something that Doom Kings need to get that extra mm, little bit of magical advantage because they need it so badly. Now, in 7th edition, Tomb Kings didn't get their own army book, so they kept using the 6th edition army book. But they got a fresh new army book in 8th edition. And in 8th edition, finally, we get Tomb Kings that cast spells in the same way as uh, regular casters do. Except that the Tomb King's lore of magic is, well, it's, it's not that great. You have, for example, a... Uh, Magical Vortex, and most Magical Vortices are quite devastating on strength 5 or something, or you have to make a, like an initiative test or something like that. This one is just a single strength 4 hit for each model under the template. Um, it's a little bit lackluster, and it costs still the same. But before we get to that, let's take a look at the lore of Nehekara in, in general. Uh, in 8th edition, all your laws have what's called a lore attribute, and the lore attribute of the law of Nehekara is called the Restless Dead. 
Every time a wizard successfully casts an augment spell from the law of Nerakara on a friendly Nerakaran unit, the target or targets of the spell immediately recover d3 plus 1 wounds worth of models. And there's a section on resurrecting fallen warriors on how this works. And uh, animated constructs, things like your Shapti and your Tomb Scorpions and stuff like that, they only ever recover a single lost wound per magic phase. So now you no longer have a specific summoning spell, but every time you cast a spell on a unit, this unit will automatically regain some models. Which spells are we talking about? The first one is Xar's Incantation of the Desert Wind. This is the signature spell, it's cast on an 8+. This is an augment spell, and it targets all unengaged friendly Nerkaran units within 12 inches. And this spell allows you to make a normal move as if it were the remaining moves subface, so you cannot charge. You can expand this spell to 24 inches with a casting value of 16 plus, and uh, no unit can be moved more than once per turn by this spell, although they can still benefit from the lore attributes. The first spell in the list, uh, well, the first numbered spell, is Jaff's Incantation of the Cursed Blades. It casts on a 7 plus. It is another augment spell, it has a range of 12 inches. And this uh, Cursed Blade spell allows your unit to get the Killing Blow special rule until the start of your next magic phase. And if you already have Killing Blow or Heroic Killing Blow, then the, will, uh, the Killing Blow is increased by 1, so you no longer need 6s, you need 5s or 6s. Very nice, uh, especially on the Tomb Guard, it's only a 7 plus to cast, you can... Increase the range of this spell to 24 inches and then the value is increased to 10 plus. The second spell is Nuru's Incantation of Protection. Another augment spell with a range of 12 inches. The unit gains a 5 plus ward save until the start of the casting caster's next magic phase. And you can choose to have the spell target all friendly near current units within 12 inches. And if you do so, the casting value is increased to 18+. Plus. Very nice protection spell. Um, this is one of the spells that I really like to take when I play Tomb Kings in 8th edition. The third one is Petra's Incantation of Righteous Smiting. Same Incantation of Righteous Smiting, except that uh, now it's attributed to a different deity. This is, once again, an augment spell. It has a range of 12 inches and your attacks are increased by 1 until the caster's next magic phase. And this includes the attacks of mounts and models accruing a war machine, chariot, monster, etc. In addition, the, if you have a bow or a great bow, you gain the multiple shots to special rule until the start of the caster's next magic phase. So not only can you uh, fight and you can also shoot an extra round with the same spell um, you don't have to choose anymore although if you shoot you are not in combat and if you fight you are in combat so yeah uh, the good thing is that this also works during your opponent's turn so you can shoot this round and then when you are in combat when you get charged uh, you can still stand and shoot get, uh, maybe you can't stand and shoot with with undead. I might have done it wrong yesterday. Not that it caused any wounds, but uh, undead can only hold as far as I recall. 
Well, um, there goes my whole plan to kill a unit with a single spell. Speaking of the spell, you can increase it to all target all Nairkarn and that units within 24 inches, and to do so, the uh, casting value is 18 plus instead of 9 plus. These were the augment spells, then you get two more hex spells and the magical vortex I just discussed. The first hex is Eucerian's Incantation of Vengeance, cast on a 10 plus range of 18 inches, and the target unit suffers minus d3 to its movement to a minimum of 1. And all terrain, even open ground, is considered dangerous terrain. Stop the unit of uh, Skaven with a screaming bell in its tracks with this spell. Uh, until the start of the caster's next magic phase, this spell lasts, and the wizard can increase the range to 36 inches for a casting value of 13 plus. Spell number 5 is Yusef's Incantation of Desiccation. Uh, I really don't make up these names, but uh, they don't make it easy to pronounce them. It is a hex spell with a range of 24 inches, cast on an 11 plus. The target unit has minus 1 strength and minus 1 toughness, both to a minimum of 1, until the start of the caster's next magic phase. And you can choose to reduce the strength and toughness by d3, again to a minimum of 1, on a casting value of 22 plus. And the final one is Sakmet's Incantation of the Skullstorm. 15 plus Magical Vortex, uh, this is the 3 inch template. And uh, you place the template on the ground in front of the wizard, you roll an artillery die and you multiply the result by the wizard level to see how many inches you go. If it is a misfire, the template is centered on the caster instead. So not only do you have the chance to miscast, you also have the chance to misfire on this one. And any model uh, under or passed over by the template suffers a single strength for a hit. Then it just remains in play spell. It, um, uh, the vortex travels in a random direction, moves a number of inches equal to the artillery die, and it dissipates on a misfire. You can boost the Skullstorm so that it uses the large round template, the 5 inch template, and if you do so, the value is 25 inches. Not bad, but not very good, this lore. Now, there are some things in this 8th edition book that, although they are not Lich Priest magic, they do influence them, and that's why I want to mention them. And the first one is once again the Casket of Souls. The Casket of Souls is no longer an upgrade for your Lich Priest. The Casket of Souls is a war machine that you buy as a rare choice. The, the thingy on it is no longer a Lich Priest, but it is called the Keeper of the Casket. You still have your two Tomb Guards guarding the Casket. And the uh, Casket of Souls still has the Light of Death spell. It is a bounce spell with a power level of 5. And when I first got into 8th edition, I uh, took a lot of bounce spells with my Tomb Kings, not knowing that I also had to spend power dice on them. So, um, yeah, I had way more spells than I had use for. The Casket of Souls, uh, Light of Death, it still does uh, sort of the same thing. It is a direct damage spell with a range of 48 inches. Um, the target of the Light of Death must pass a leadership test on 3d6, so you have a single target now. 
if the test is passed, nothing happens. And otherwise, if the test is failed, you suffer a number of automatic wounds, no arm saves allowed, distributed as shooting attacks. And then it uh, you have to roll a d6. On a three or more, you can choose another unengaged target within six inches of the initial target. So it bounces around sort of like, uh, like a lightning bolt or like the foot of Gork, something like that. And um, then you have to keep rolling and then each unit that uh, does not fail its leadership test allows you to possibly get another unit. You have more chance to hit units to kill troops with this. The average on 3d6 is 10 and a half. Uh, the average on 2d6 plus 2 is only 9. So your, your spell is a little bit more killy. But you no longer affect every unit that can see it. You just have to select the unit and then it bounces around. If you have one or more Casket of Souls at the start of your magic phase, you get D3 power dice to your power pool, which is very nice. Instead of um, decreasing the casting value of the spells, um, no, not the casting value, the casting roll. Instead of giving you a, a penalty to your casting rolls, you now get extra power dice for your Tomb Kings. And the casket has another rule. It's called Unleashed Souls, which is if the casket is destroyed. You roll a d6 for every unit within 12 inches, friend or foe. And on a 4+, plus, that unit get, gets d6, strength 6, hints distributed as for shooting. It's sort of a... Um, Tomb King's Curse, except for the for the casket when it destroys, because all the souls are released that were trapped in the casket, and they uh, cause some damage. There is another unit that I should mention with regards to Lich Priests and uh, Lich High Priests, which is the Hiero Titan. Uh, Hiero Titan. This is a new unit and wasn't around before. The Hyrule Titan is a large monster. It never got a model, but I did find someone on Etsy who produced a pair of legs that uh, are made to fit the Necrosphinx body. I had one of those lying around, so I made my own Hyrule Titan with that. The uh, Hyrule Titan is a uh, a large monster. It's um, a bit like a giant in uh, comparable stat line to a giant. It is a spirit conduit. They act as magical loci for the Lich Priest. Uh, any undead wizard within 12 inches of one or more Hyro Titans gets plus d3 to the casting result of each spell. So, um, usually when I play Tomb Kings in 8th edition, I, I do like uh, trying to get that magic off. So, I take a Hyro Titan and I take a. Um, uh, Casket of Souls, as long as my rare choices allow that. Then it has the Icon of Petra, which is a power level 3 bound spell that contains the spell Shem's Burning Gaze from the Law of Light. And it has the skills of Viserion, a power level 4 bound spell, which contains the spell Spirit Leech from the Law of Death. These are both the signature spells of their respective laws. And I should mention Lich Priests and Lich High Priests. They can use the Law of Neakara and your um, uh, Hierophant, your main Lich Priest, the one that summons the army and that when he dies uh, causes the army to crumble. He has to take the Law of Neakara. 
but your other lich priests um, they can take the lore of light or the lore of death as well or instead of the law of Neakara. Um yeah those are the three laws that you can use on your lords and your heroes. I'm not going over the law of death or the law of light. Um, I think we can save them for another podcast. There is one thing I have to mention before we move on from the 8th edition Tomb King's army book because there's a lot more to say about Tomb King's magic in 8th edition. And that is that the Tomb Kings got a special character, Lich Priest. This is the Brand Hierophant, Katap. And Katap is a special character. He is a Lich High Priest, level 4 wizard that uses the law of Nehagara. He, uh, he must be your army's Hierophant. He has for his magic items the Lich Staff, which is an arcane item. You can declare that he's using it immediately after rolling the dice to cast a spell, even if the result indicates irresistible force, and irresistible force in 8th edition also automatically causes a miscast. If you use a Lich Staff, you reroll all the casting die used in the attempt, and you can use the Lich Staff once per turn. So this can uh, cause a spell that wasn't cast to be cast, or uh, prevent uh, a miscast, something like that. You don't want this guy to get sucked into the warp, because then your army will start to crumble. With the Grand Hierophant Katab, we also see the return of a scroll that is not a dispel scroll. And this is the scroll of the Cursing Words. It is a one-use-only magic item. An arcane item again. When an enemy spell has been cast, you can read the scroll instead of attempting to dispel it, just like a normal dispel scroll would. Instead of dispelling, this spell is cast as normal, but the caster must immediately take a toughness test. If the test is passed, nothing happens. If the test is failed, the enemy wizard cannot cast any more spells that turn, as he spits out a mouthful of foul-tasting insects. Thank you for this graphic little tidbit. If the test is failed on the roll of a 6, the caster immediately suffers d3 wounds as well, with no saves of any kind allowed. I I think if this item was in the regular Tomb King's item list, I don't think I would ever take it. It's too situational, there are too many dice rolls involved. Uh, spell still goes through, not many wizards, especially, well maybe a level 4 wizard, but most wizards don't usually cast more than, than one or two spells a turn anyway. It can work, it can be nice. You can even, if you're very lucky, uh, kill a wizard lord outright with this. But I think it's too situational to, to work correctly. Um, there's another wizard here in this book. He is not a lich priest, it's Arkan the Black. Arkan is a level 4 wizard that uses the lore of death even if he is your hierophant he can be your hierophant and um, and arcan has the arcane item the libra mortis which increases his level, wizard level to five and he loses this wizard level if the libra mortis is destroyed arcan writes uh, he can write in his flaming in his uh, not flaming flying chariot which is uh, very cool it's a very cool model i'm glad to have finally obtained that one as well a couple of weeks or months ago now and if you don't have that model you can always 
convert him from a chariot and one of those uh, leftover end times Ark and the Blacks, the, the, the ones that are riding those, um, uh, what are they called, the, the Dread Abyssals. Uh, Arkan, just to, to name him for completeness sake, he has the Tomb Blade of Arkan for each unsaved wound caused by this magic weapon in close combat. The unit immediately recovers a wound as described in Resurrecting Fallen Warrior, so it goes in the same way. And he has the Staff of Nagash. At the end of the opponent's magic phase, you can store up to three unused Dispel Dice from your pool in the Staff of Nagash. And at the beginning of your next magic phase, you can add these dice to your power pool. If it's removed as a casualty before your next magic phase, these power dice are lost. And I think you can still only ever have more uh, 12 maximum power dice. That's it for the Tomb King's army book. And as I mentioned, there are some expansions in 8th edition that give you some extra Tomb King's uh, spells. One of these is the um, expansion set, the Storm of Magic. Storm of Magic gives you a couple of spells for your Tomb Kings. Uh, you get two spells, or one of them is Jedra's Incantation of the Eternal Dead. It is a spell cast on a 10 plus. It remains in play, and for the duration of this spell, your lore attribute Eternal Dead restores d6 plus 2 wounds worth of models instead of the normal amount. And all other restrictions apply. So you, um, instead of getting d3 wounds back, you get a lot more back. And the last one is a return to the golden age. This is cast on a 20 plus, And this is also a remains in play spell. Return to the Golden Age is an augment spell that treats all friendly Tomb King targets all friendly Tomb King's units on the battlefield. For the duration of the spell, your targets receive bonuses to their weapon skill, strength, and initiative, and the size depends on the troop type. Tomb Kings and Tomb Princes gain plus three weapon skill, strength, and initiative. All other characters, Tomb Guard and Acropolis Knights, get plus two, and all other units get plus one. So this is basically uh, yeah, Return to the Golden Age, uh, the, the, the dead Tomb Kings sort of become living again, although not quite. But they do get some extra stats, uh, which can be very nice. 20 plus spell, those uh, Storm of Magic spells were very wild. Storm of Magic allowed you to roll 4d6 instead of 2d6 for your... Magic dice, it increases your power dice pool to 24, maximum limit. Um, magic became a lot more important, and you had that lovely little spinner in the front of the book that allowed you to randomly determine which lore was dominant during a phase and, and which other laws got uh, also a little bonus. And these dominant laws, they got either plus 5 or plus 4 or plus 3 to, their, uh, to the spells. Added to that, that you can also add your wizard level in 8th edition. Um, it would not be uncommon to, well, nah, maybe a bit uncommon, but it would be possible to, to cast a, a 12 plus spell on a single die. Uh, if you roll a 3 and you have a level 4 wizard and you add plus 5 if that lore is, uh, is dominant during this turn, 
you can cast a 12 plus spell with a single d6. So this is wild. This is um, not something that you want to see every battle, but occasionally these are very nice expansions to play. The last place, the last stop on our list is the end times. In the end times, Tomb Kings um, got reunited with their Vampire Counts buddies. They are once again under the same list. You get a unified undead faction under Nagash. I'm not going to go into the special characters that you got in end times. Um, you, you got Ark and the Black, you got Nagash. They all used the, they could use either the lore of vampires, the lore of Nekara, and you can also have the lore of undeath. And the lore of undeath gives you a whole new list of spells that are for both vampire counts and tomb kings. The lore of undeath contains some summoning spells. Summoning spells do what you would expect them to do, which is to summon models. These are uh, once again back to the points values, just like they were in the Ravening Hordes. You have the uh, signature spell, which is Rise, with, spelled with a uh, with a Y. Rise, the Grave Call. The signature spell is a summoning spell with a range of 12 inches. You can summon a single unit of infantry worth up to 50 points from the Undead Legion's army list, which is this combined undead list. You can uh, increase the spell for a single infantry unit worth up to 100 points and then the casting value is 14 plus or you can do 115 points of monstrous infantry and the casting value for that will become 16 plus. The lore attribute for this lore is that if you cast a successful spell you place a raised dead counter on the table somewhere, a coin or a die, something like that, every time you successfully cast a spell from this lore. And any friendly wizard that subsequently casts a summoning spell from this lore can choose to expand one or more of those counters, and each counter will allow you to add 10 points to the number of units uh, summoned. So this is one of those times where you have to get your Tomb Kings book, your Vampire Counts book, your End Times book, of course, the regular rule book, and then you have to um, flip through them during the battle, trying to calculate very fast which units you want and which number of points. And it does say that it's a good thing if you have some idea of what you want to summon before the battle, because this can really take up a lot of time. The first spell, the number one spell on the lore of undeath, is Morkan, the Breath of Darkness. It's cast on a 6+, it is an augment spell that targets one friendly unit with the undead special rule, which is basically everything, vampire counts and tomb kings, except for those things that are alive within that list. Uh, within 12 inches of the caster, that unit immediately regains d3 plus 1 wounds worth of models, as described in the Resurrecting Fallen Warriors. So this is your Tomb King spell, but it now also works on the Vampire Count unit. And in addition, if the unit is engaged in close combat, it can also is uh, not engaged in close combat, I should read that out correctly, it can also make a normal move as if it were the remaining moves subface, combining two of the Tomb King spells into one. 
Spell number 2, Sulekim, the Hand of Dust, cast on a 7+, another augment spell. This one is cast upon the wizard, and in close combat the caster can choose to exchange all of his normal attacks to make a single Hand of Dust attack against one enemy model in base contact. And this can be the model or the mount. If the to hit roll is successful, the target model suffers a wound with the multiple wounds d6 special rule. No armor saves allowed. If the Hand of Dust slays an enemy character in a challenge, you immediately gain an additional d6 raised dead counters. Situational, but uh, can be fun. You don't want your wizard to get into combat, although if you have a vampire, maybe you do. Can be nice. Spell number 3, Kizar the Soul Stealer. Cast on an 8th plus, it is a direct damage spell with a range of 12 inches. You roll 2d6 plus 2, and for each point the result exceeds the target's leadership, the target suffers one wound with no armor saves allowed. So why have we heard that before? This is the 6th edition Casket of Souls in the form of a spell now. If the spell causes at least one unsaved wound, you immediately gain an additional d3 raised dead counters. You see where this lore is going to? You want those raised to death counters. And the reason for that is because there are more summoning spells. Number 4, Raskar the Abyssal Swarm. The Abyssal Swarm is a summoning spell with a range of 12 inches. The caster summons a single unit of war beast or swarms worth up to 75 points, selected from the Undead Legions list. You can instead choose a single unit of Monstrous Beast worth up to 150 points, increasing the casting value to 16 plus. I don't know if I mentioned it, but the regular one is 10 plus. Another summoning spell is the fifth one, Kandarak the Harbinger. Cast on a 10 plus, it is a summoning spell with a range of 12 inches. You can summon a single character worth up to 65 points, selected from the Undead Legion's army list. Or you can use it to summon a unit consisting of a single monster, chariot or war machine worth up to 200 points, increasing the casting value to 24+. plus. The last one is another summoning spell, Akar Aran the Dark Riders. It's cast on a 16+, plus. it has a range of 12 inches, and you can use it to summon a single unit of cavalry, monsters, cavalry, or chariots worth up to 150 points, selected from your Undead Legion's army list. And this one can't be boosted. So, that's it for the end time spells, you would think, except that in the third end times book, um, the, the one dedicated to Cain, the elven host, you had a sort of combination of a storm of magic in the end times. You also had those similar storm of magic rules where you got not 2 but 46, where you had an increased power dice pool. You did not have the spinner, but you did have some extra spells. There is a set of end time spells, and each lore gets an extra end times spell. The Lore of Nerekara gets uh, the spell Return to the Golden Age. This one is similar to, but not exactly the same, as the one from the Storm of Magic. It's cast on the 20+, an augment spell that targets all friendly units from Warhammer Tomb Kings on the battlefield. And the wording of this allows you, if you're fighting Tomb Kings with Tomb Kings, to also boost your enemies' spells, uh, enemies' units. 
And the augment spell just adds one to the weapon skill, strength, and initiative of everything on the profile um, until the start of the caster's next magic phase. It no longer remains in play, and it's no longer a distinction between characters and elite troops and regular troops. The last spell I want to mention is the end time spell that was added to the lore of undeath. This spell is called the Malediction of Nagash. It is a hex spell that targets all enemy units within 24 inches. All units have the strength characteristic on their profile halved and it's rounded up if you have a fraction uh, and it lasts until the cast, start of the caster's next magic phase. It's only in this end times lore that I think Tomb Kings um, are able to use the the magic the way they should. The, well, maybe also in Storm of Magic, uh, you do have those extra um, extra extra spells that you can cast. You, do, you have those uh, or some use for all those bound spells that you have that you can take with the um, Hero Titan with the Casket of Souls. I feel Tomb King's magic should have been maybe a little bit stronger, not a lot. Uh, the first times I, I the first time I played Tomb Kings, I actually misread how this worked, and I thought that all Lich priests could cast two spells and all High priests could cast four spells. Uh, that was a mistake that. Um, I, I won't make again because they were very much overpowered if you do that. This was in 6th edition, just when uh, I started out with Tomb Kings. Um, I'm sure lots of people have made similar mistakes, so please don't judge me too harshly on that. I don't know if I were to design Tomb Kings magic, which way I would go with them. Uh, there are a lot of things you can do with them. Maybe something similar to the incantations or the scrolls, but make them a little bit easier to cast, give them a, a chance, maybe maybe have have each Lich Priest uh, the chance to cast two spells um, and, and let, them, let him cast until he has cast his two spells, something like that. Uh, and then also not something with the, the same spell twice. Um, I'm not sure if that would work. So um, this is just me thinking out loud. I haven't prepared this uh, before the episode. So I think what I would do is to have those four incantations from sixth edition, and then have the rule that your Lich Priest can, can cast each incantation once until one is cast successfully, until one's not dispelled. And for your Lich High Priest, the same, but then twice. So, uh, and I think your Lich High Priest can call cast any incantation, uh, even the same one, twice, because that's also the way it is now. So uh, yeah, have them cast until they've cast up two spells, but then again, that might also make them overpowered. I don't know. Uh, Tomb Kings are, it's, it's one of those love-hate armies. Uh, I would love for them to be a little bit better. I love their aesthetic. I love their, their models. I love their special rules. Um, I love the whole fluff behind them. and. I just hate that they don't, uh, that they aren't represented the way they are in the fluff uh, on the battlefield. 
they they should be a little bit better but yeah you're working with uh, skeletons low initiative low attacks low movement um they usually get charged you don't always get to charge off especially not in eighth edition where you uh, um, where you can't use the incantation to charge so yeah uh, i think they can be improved i just don't know exactly how from a gaming perspective that would make them better if you have any suggestions on that uh, please feel free to share as always i think that will do it for now as always thank you for listening and have a great week